Uh, turn in your Bibles to Philippians 2, Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. This message is on humility. Hope you're listening, Mel. I'm kidding. I got my humility message for the week. As I said, I want to share a few things today. I want to be a little quicker, so hopefully we can move into a time of some more prophetic ministry at the end, since I really feel like God has been preparing our hearts a lot individually and as a body to speak to us directly today. You know, I like the new year. I like the Christmas new year time of year. I feel like it's a good time to take stock of kind of where you are individually. It's a good time to ask what you're dreaming for, what you're contending for, what your hopes are. It's a great time for us as a church to remind our hearts of who God is and what he's doing and to ask new questions and refresh our hearts. Now, of course, we should be doing this as followers of Jesus all the time, not just at the new year, but the new year is a time when I feel like we're a little more primed, and it's a good time to be, to be reminded of some things. It's a good time to prepare, remind ourselves to prepare for what's ahead, to not just ask, but to prepare. And all of this, hopefully, we're going to start to do today. Uh, but the new year is also a great time for that wonderful tradition of making resolutions. Mel's on fire today. She's answering questions. She's winning a bet. It's just it's unbelievable. Great time to make resolutions. Uh, anybody make resolutions, New Year's resolutions? Okay, I don't really either. I think some of you aren't telling the truth, but that's okay. So I, I, I'm interested in this phenomenon of making New Year's resolutions. So I did a little bit of research, and I thought I'd share some of what I found. Um, I don't know if these are true or not, but 45% of Americans say they always make a New Year's resolution. 45%, so almost half. Okay, 38% of Americans say they never make a New Year's resolution. So we're the 38%. Also, research shows that one in three people will ditch their New Year's resolution by the end of January. By the end of January, we're done. It was a bad idea. 66%, two-thirds of resolution makers have fitness as a part of their resolution. In order to fit in this shirt, I'm going to have to make fitness a part of my resolution. Men, here we go, men are 7% more likely to keep their exercise resolutions. Look, it's on the internet. You can't argue with it, okay? Sorry, it's there. Details Magazine or whatever I was looking at. And then the top resolutions for Americans include diet and exercise, some sort of financial resolution, you know, get out of debt, spend less, spend more, I don't know, resolve to spend more, stress reduction, relationship improvement, to stop smoking and or drinking, and then my personal favorite, ditching Facebook or other forms of social media, hashtag good luck with that. (laughs) So resolutions, as I was looking at them, were kind of humorous, kind of not, But it makes me thankful on a serious note that we serve such a faithful, good God. A God who's faithful to lead us and speak to us like a good shepherd, as Psalm 23 uh, describes so well. A God who calls us to love one another so very clearly as he has loved us. A God who is faithful to grow us. Philippians 1 verse 6 says he's faithful to complete the work that he's began in us. Jesus is. A God is faithful to do that. Yes, we wrestle, and yes, we listen and risk in faith, and we feel the weight of things, and things are often very weighty, but we don't do it alone. 
We don't do it alone because we serve a God who will never leave us and never forsake us. So I'm thankful that, personally, I'm thankful that the church, our church, you and I, we are not left to the, to the mercy of whims and willpower. We don't have to ditch it by the end of January. We serve a God who's been clear with us and continues to be. A God who's given his eternal word to us and speaks to us corporately and individually in accordance with it. Is that good? It's not? It's good? All right. You're like, James, you said you'd be quick. So in terms of this sort of self-asking and, 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 and asking our, what, how we need to prepare our hearts and seeing what God is doing, where does that put us as a church today? Where does that put us? What, as church in the city, corporately, what does that mean for us? Well, I think it means a couple of things. Firstly, it kind of means that we are where we always are in a very good way. That is, we are waiting on, listening to, and obeying God as best we can as he reveals himself to us. We're waiting on, listening to, and obeying God as always, as best we can, as he reveals himself to us. That never changes. It never changes. If that's going to irk you or upset you, you're going to be irked and upset. (laughs) We're going to wait on God, listen to him, and obey what we hear from him. It also speaks to where we're going. Asking God, what is he moving us into? What is he moving us into in the now, this season? And in light of that, how can we ready ourselves? How can we prepare our hearts to obey him? So it's not a passive thing. To follow Jesus, to be a part of a local church, to be a believer in Jesus, nothing about it is passive. It's always a listening, always a waiting on God, always obeying. And that's a muscle that we're always going to be working. So in one sense, we're where we always are. And in another sense, at the same time, we're always asking God, where are we going? What are you doing? Prepare our hearts. Our desire is to obey. So today, something of what I want to do is just to invite us as a church to continue to position our hearts to hear God, to hear God, and to act in, obe- in, in, in obedience. Simple, and I just want to outline a few things that I think are key to that. In a sense, I want to invite us as a church, myself included, to do what Paul encouraged the Philippian church to do when he said to them in chapter 2, what we're going to read, to work out their salvation. Work out your salvation, or it could be said, outwork your salvation. So if you found Philippians chapter 2, let's go to verse 12. We're going to read 12 and 13. It'll also be behind me. Let's read this together. Paul says to the Philippian church, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, what does Paul mean? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a little disconcerting on a first read. Work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I don't know that I like the language of that, quite honestly. Well, let's ask ourselves a few things about, or let's find out a few things about Philippians. Paul has spent all of chapter one of the book of Philippians reminding the Philippian church about the supremacy of the gospel. Paul is writing this letter in prison. And he goes so far as to say, I am in chains because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
all I can think about, my obsession is whether or not the gospel of Christ is being preached. And if it is, praise be to God. And if it's not, it needs to be chained to the wall. All he can think about. The gospel is supreme. The gospel is supreme. And he's encouraging the Philippian church to see everything in the context of the supremacy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And next week, Steve and Debs, who will be back, they send their love, by the way, they'll be back, and Steve is going to preach on the power of the gospel, as Romans says. The power of God in the gospel. And this is Paul's obsession. He can't think of anything else. And that's all he spends chapter 1 talking about. And he begins chapter 2 then by encouraging the church to take the same mindset that Jesus did as Jesus obeyed the Father. That is, he took on human flesh. He didn't rely on his equality with God. He humbled himself, took the form of, of humanity, became obedient to the Father, even unto death on a cross. And because of that, God's purposes were fulfilled in him. Purposes like what? God raised him to the highest exaltation because he was a worthy sacrifice. And now we see that every knee and every tongue bow and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And that day is coming. It's a mindset of obedience to the Father, not just for the sake, although God could demand that, It's a mindset of obedience to the Father for his own good purposes. That's what Jesus, the Son, did. And Paul says, hey, church, we need to do that as well. Look at how Jesus did it. We need to do it for the sake of the purposes of God. So on the heels of that context, the gospel is supreme, Jesus submitted himself to the Father's good purpose, being fully God, obedient. God has exalted him. In that context, let's read it again. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, let's be clear about something. When Paul says work out your salvation, he's not talking about receiving salvation. He's speaking to believers. He makes it clear in the first few verses of of each one of his letters. Paul's speaking to believers. He's speaking to people who have salvation. If he was speaking to unbelievers, I think he'd be preaching the gospel. (laughs) It's what he said is supreme. So Paul's speaking to believers, and he's speaking about the effect of salvation on the life of of a believer. That is, the believer is fully saved in position, which is promised in Scripture, sealed with, by, the, by the promised Holy Spirit. Our life is seated with Christ in God. That is, that is done. That salvation is done and completed. But there's also something of it that isn't completed, but growing in us. Position is completed. Outworking is not completed. And Paul says, Grow more and more into that. Work out that salvation, which is the image of Jesus Christ being shown and borne out in your life as his, as his follower. Hence, work out your salvation. Not work it out like an algebra problem, and if you get it wrong, you're not saved. Saved has happened. Now work it out. So it begs a couple of questions that are always fair to ask. Firstly is how, Paul, how? 
Well, he answers that in verse 13. With fear and trembling. Here's the disconcerting part. (laughs) Well, I don't really like working things out with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Well, the language here is a language of reverence. It doesn't mean tiptoeing and scared. It doesn't mean being worrisome and tentative before God. Because remember, we're not operating from a place of salvation insecurity. We're operating from a place of salvation is sure. Now let's outwork it. So what's consistent with what we see about the heart of God in Scripture? That we walk in the fullness of salvation. That is, we are saved, healed, delivered with full reverence and sobriety in the presence of God. With full humility and submission to his ways. With the same obedience to the Father that the Son demonstrated. That's the sobriety of what with fear and trembling means. It's a right view of Almighty God. It's a right view of Almighty God. That's powerful, considering that salvation is sure, and in my right view of Almighty God, I work out that salvation. I let the effect of it marinate in my life and change me. That's the how of working out our salvation. What's the why? Always another fair question. Well, Paul answers that as well. At the end of verse 13, he says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to what? Fulfill his good purposes. Remember, that's the why of Jesus' demonstration too. Not because it was just, not, I mean, the Trinity wasn't playing rock, paper, scissors, and Jesus, the son lost and had to go bear the cross. It's just not how it went down. The son willfully submitted to human flesh, became human flesh, submitted to the father, went to the cross. Why? So that the purposes of God could be fulfilled in him and displayed. And that's the same reason he would ever ask you and I to obey, to fulfill his good purposes. Listening to God, obeying God. This is never done aimlessly. We listen and obey God. We listen to and obey God because he invites us to partner with him. In his purposes coming to pass. He invites us to partner with him in his purposes coming to pass. Now, we know this isn't necessary on God's part. God doesn't need me to accomplish his purposes. But he partners with us and invites us to partner with him so that we may have an inheritance of sharing in bringing glory unto him. Glory is going unto God. Glory is going unto God. The goodness of God is shown in that he invites us to partner with him in giving that glory to him to fulfill his good purposes. That excites me, (laughs) that I'm not left by the wayside, that I'm not just saved and, well, one day we'll wait on heaven and whether that's five years or 75 years from now for any of us, no, there's purposes to be fulfilled now. There's an inheritance now. That's why Paul invites the fully saved and fully redeemed church to work out their salvation. It's the fullness of something that is also being outworked. So back to us, back to church in the city to get a little close to home. You guys okay? Happiness, getting back into like sermon listening after the new year. (laughs) Clearly I'm getting back into sermon preaching after the new year. To get back close to home, what helps us as church in the city do this to work out our salvation, to partner with God in his good purposes? 
That's what I want to talk about today for just a few minutes. I think there's a couple of things that help us. First of all, to work out our salvation, I think we need to remind ourselves what God has been saying to us as a church and not forsake it and not walk away from it, but hold fast. Because God is speaking universally to his church and God is speaking to this church in accordance with his word. And we need to remind our hearts of that. So I want to do that just briefly. And again, this is not going to be exhaustive, but we just spent the better part of the last year studying, declaring, diving into, wrestling with, fulfilling the great commission by obeying the greatest command. I know some of you probably got that tattooed and like you heard it so much. But studying the fact that God invites us to fulfill the great commission that is going into all the world, making disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, he is with us to the end of the age, fulfilling that by obeying the greatest command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. God has been saying that to us. And I'll tell you what, I've had more than a few conversations with people in this room about what that's stirring up, about what that's stirring up. It's exciting to see what that's stirring up corporately. It's catching the heart of God the Father who is always after the lost, who is always sending after them, whether that's sending his son like we just celebrated at Christmas time, or sending us, which makes so much sense when you know God's heart, to send the broken, feeble us, empowered by him, with his presence unto the lost in the Great Commission, it just makes so much sense when you think about the sending heart of God. A God whose law is love and whose gospel is peace. A God who's with us to the end of the age, even if what he calls us to costs us everything. And by everything, I mean everything. With fear and trembling. Sober reverence. For Almighty God. That's what God's been saying to us. He's been stirring much amongst us individually and as a body, and God has been faithful to speak. Has He not? Has He not? God has been faithful to speak. So we need to remind our hearts what God has said, and we need to not walk away from it. That's part of how we work out our salvation. Also, we need to speak what we have a sense of what God is doing in this season. The coming now and soon for church in the city. We need to be clear. We need to speak that out. And we need to own it as a body. I want to say this. As elders, as an eldership, we want to be clear and open about what we're hearing from God. That's always our heart. We will never keep that tucked away. Or like hide it and judge what you say by it. Well, I don't know. I just had a conversation with Joe. But I don't think that's really what God's doing. He doesn't know. It's ridiculous. It's never how we're going to be as elders. We're certainly not perfect, but it's an aspect of accountability that we want to have with a local church to say, this is what we're sensing. This is what we're hearing from God. And how can we own vision together and listen to God together if we're not clear in that way? So I want to invite us as a church to trust together, to be active in this together, to work on our salvation in this together. So what are we trusting God for in this season, the now and the soon I don't want to try to be exhaustive, but I just want to give some simple encouragements of what we as an eldership and what I know many of you are sensing as well to partner with God in his purposes for us. Firstly, and I'm just going to run through some of these, there is a deep sense that we have that this is a season of simplicity 
for us at Church in the City. A time to just simply remind our hearts to use our time and our efforts wisely. A time to fiercely hold firstly, it's a tongue twister, it took me like 10 times, fiercely hold firstly to the kingdom of Jesus and to set that first above all, not in a prominent position, but in the preeminent position. As Jesus says in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God overall. And by the way, all these other things, <laughs> they're gonna get taken care of. They'll be added unto you. And we need to be open as a church to letting things fall away that need to fall away. To let things fall away that need to fall away. And to be holding that before the Lord. A season of simplicity. Also, we need to remind our hearts that we need to take God at his word. I know, I know, it seems so simple, but boy, do I have to preach this to my heart. Take God at his word. We need to remind our hearts to be refreshed, taught, and shaped by the word of God. Because I, I just, I just want to say that if we don't, the alternative to us being in the word, shaped, taught, formed, renewed, we will be shaped by something else. Whether that's our own sinful flesh and desire, or whether that's the culture and the message that we get from somewhere else, something is shaping and will shape you and me. None of us is above it. This is why the word says, be renewed. Be renewed. We need to take God at his word. And when we're in his word, that will produce a simple faith and a simple obedience to literally say, this is what my God says. This is, therefore, how I will obey. And we will look like we're flying upside down to the world. We will. But I'd rather be flying upside down to the world than flying upside down to the word of God. To take God at his word. You guys okay? Also, it's a, it's a time for us to remember to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Again, I know. I know. Hopefully none of this is surprising. <laughs> But we need to fix our eyes upon Jesus. The Jesus of Philippians 2, who said to the Father, I'm going, I'm submitting to your obedience, I'm going to the cross, I'm donning human flesh for your good purposes. And the Father says, I'm exalting you above all, and every knee is going to bow, and every tongue is going to confess and acknowledge that you're Lord of Lords. Jesus, that Jesus, is exalted currently, right now, at this moment, as King of Kings. And he is good shepherd, intimate with us, leading us beside the still waters, and he is also the God who is exalted above all, unquestioned, king of kings, the God that John came into contact with in Revelation 1 and wrote about it, eyes of fire, who spoke, and John fell as if he was dead. That Jesus, we need to fix our eyes upon him because that is a Jesus, not a wishy-washy slogan Jesus, not a Jesus who submitted to... uh, political whims or cultural whims or social whims or any other whims, the Jesus who defines all other whims, that Jesus, when we are submitted to him, I tell you what, there is nothing he can't ask of his church. And by the way, isn't that the Jesus who says, I'm with you always. Don't perform for me, I'm with you. I'm with you. Fix our eyes upon Jesus. It's a season to live in abundant grace and to be radically generous. 
A season to live in abundant grace and to be radically generous as we work out our salvation. God has lavished his grace upon us, Ephesians 1 says. He's lavished his grace upon us. And as we know, as we fix our eyes upon Jesus, his lordship is all-encompassing. So let our grace be evident to everyone and abounding and overflow. Let us err on the side of grace. Let us, stu- let us stumble into how much grace we show. And let us give in light of that. Give of our time. Give of our relationship. Give of our personhood. Give of our resources, our finances, our hearts abundantly and radically. Can I even say dangerously? Sacrificially, hilariously. Give to the point where you're getting pointed at and made fun of. This is not a plea for finances. This is to say, work out our salvation. For why else have we been entrusted with those things in the first place? Why else have we been entrusted with those things in the first place? But for the sake of Jesus' kingdom and so that God may will and act in us to fulfill his good purpose. Abundant grace and radically, radically, uh, radical generosity. Just a couple more. It's a season for us to be mindful of preaching the gospel and making disciples preaching the gospel and making disciples. It's the heart of the sending and saving God. It's the heart of the sending and saving God. And honestly, that great God, think of this, that great God, majestic in all power, creating us in his image, seeking relationship with us, going after us as a sending and saving God, it's the primary way Preaching the gospel and making disciples is the primary way that he's invited us to partner with him. It's the primary way. That's amazing. And it should speak to our hearts about what place that holds in the heart of God. It's the primary way he calls us to partner with him and to have an inheritance with him. So I want to challenge us, I challenge myself to pray and to act and to ask God, what are the ways that I can always be putting the gospel on my lips and putting the gospel in my actions, be it ever so inconvenient or uncomfortable? What are the ways that it can always be there? Because I want to risk it because he's faithful and this command to make disciples isn't void of him saying, I am with you. I'm with you. Not go do it and check back, and we'll compare notes. I'm with you. I'm with you. And that stills our fears and reminds us of his abundant love. Lastly, I think this is a season for us as a church to be ready to actively participate. This is not a plea for church involvement. It's not a campaign to fill serving roles. What I mean is there just aren't any sidelines in the church of Jesus Christ. That just aren't sidelines. And honestly, to be on the sideline, I think, is to be frustrated and to be in wonder. But I want to say, you know how they say in public speaking, you don't say, you don't ever say you? Well, I'm going to say you and I'm going to point. How do you like that? (laughs) You engage God. You listen to God. You wrestle in faith and you must be asking God, if this is the local church that God has called you to be a part of and to own, then how do I sacrifice? How do I give and radically? 
How do I serve you, God, beyond the church, through and within the church? I can't ask God that for you. We can certainly talk about it, but that's something for each of us individually. And asking God these things is another aspect of accountability within a local church. To not ask God these things is just simply to be willfully sidelined. And honestly, that's not a part of God's good purposes for us. That's not, hey, we need you to serve. That's, we, we, I want a church that is mature and dangerous and participating. Because that's a kingdom church that scares the gates of hell. That's a kingdom church that scares the gates of hell. A mature, sacrificial, participating church is a kingdom dangerous church. So I want to invite you, if God is moving in your heart and speaking to you like I know he is with so many of you, don't sit back. Don't sit back. Don't, don't, don't cower in a corner. And please hear me, I'm not trying to be harsh, but don't cower in a corner and say, man, when am I going to be released? When's the spotlight going to go? Come, come. Because we want to walk that out with you. We want to blow wind in sails. We want to work and walk towards maturity, and you know we're going to mess up. If you don't want mess-ups from leadership, probably just find another church. We're going to, we're going to, but we're going to walk it through biblically and humbly, and we want mature believers, and, and that's, that's what I'm contending for. And that's what I think it means for us as a church to walk out our salvation, and that means you. So let's listen to God, and let's take a heart position of readiness towards obedience to him. And in that way, we're working out our salvation for his good purpose. 